All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have Ari Gunsberg. Ari is a rising uh, new star in the world of personal growth. As a writer and an award-winning international speaker, Ari uses storytelling and more to bring life to inspiring ideas. Ari motivates audiences everywhere with his energizing delivery, raw emotional style, and personal stories filled with triumph and travail, tragedy and transformation. As a dynamic conference keynote speaker and seminar presenter, and now virtual presenter, Ari speaks to people to spark a little light in a sea of darkness. Ari, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Toby. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So did you always want, uh, know that you wanted to, to be a motivational speaker and, and write books, motivational books, or, or how did you stumble, uh, stumble into this path? Uh, so no, I did not always know that. Um, I did. I feel like I feel like I always really kind of knew that I wanted to be a writer, although I, maybe I wasn't always honest about that or didn't always pursue that goal. Um, meaning, like I have memories from when I was like I don't know, I think like five years old or something, sitting down in front of my you know the computer that we had in the living room, you know, using the old Word Perfect, which if you can. Uh, you know, depending on how old you are and how far back you can remember, I'm talking like the big giant blue screen with like the white text going across it, you know, like really, really, really far back and, and, um, and, you know, writing out stories and I don't have any of that stuff anymore. And I, w- I kind of wish that I did. I kind of wish I could see it. Um, so the writing definitely is a dream that goes all the way back The speaking and the motivational speaking that kind of just landed on my lap and, uh, talking about the writing for a second, it's, it's interesting. I, a few years back, so, so okay, so I, I had some, like, really amazing uh, teachers for general studies growing up, and one particular teacher, she had us do, like, this writing project, right, where we sat there, we took a notebook, and we, I, I forget exactly what the, the parameters of the project was, but what I did with that writing project is I wrote essentially like a fantasy. I don't know if it was a novel or a novella. I mean, it was probably, you know, I mean, it felt like a really long thing at the time, but it was probably like, you know, a few thousand words or 10,000 words. I mean, it probably wasn't huge, but like I wrote this whole thing and I remember writing it and I put some illustrations in there and other stuff. And, and I think that I like handed it into her and maybe I never got it, got it back from her. Maybe I did and I lost it. I'm not really sure what happened, but I was like, I wonder if she still has it. And so a, a few years ago, I actually reached, tried to reach out to her. Um, I don't remember if I saw that she had already passed or if I ended up reaching out to people to ask if they knew who she, you know, wh- cause I don't know that I knew her first name, but I was like reaching out to people and I ended up getting in touch with her daughter or her granddaughter. I think it was her daughter who, you know, we, we connected briefly and it was like, you know, it was just like your mom was an amazing teacher. It was like really a pleasure to, to have been able to be a part of her class, you know, et cetera. Like, I mean, she was our teacher when her husband had died. So like, you know, I, I don't remember if I connected with that part, but I was like, by the way, I don't know, like if you still have your mother's things or anything, but if it ever comes up that you come across this like little thing, it would be amazing if I could get it back. And she looked briefly and she's like, she was like, I can't find it. So, you know, it, it, that's, you know, we, um, we, we put sometimes effort into things that we ended up like, you know, we, we realized later, but anyways, so the, um, the, 
the writing certainly uh, goes back quite some time. The speaking, the speaking kind of like was one of those things that kind of fell into my lap. And um, so I certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but, it, but, it, but when I realized that the speaking ties in with the writing, I was like very happy to find that out because it's, it kind of like just brought it all together. And it's like, oh yeah, that really works together pretty well, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Integrating those. Um, so your most recent book, it looks like, so the, the little book of greatness, is that correct? The one you yes, got right there. The yeah. yeah. So absolutely. I was just reading the, the little excerpt or, or little description of it. So deta detailing your, your concept of the five keys to greatness. So tell me, tell me, I guess, what, uh, what kind of went into this book as far as what, what inspired you to want to write it and, and how did you put together these, these different five keys? Okay, so to tell that story, I kind of have to jump back a little bit. Basically, I have this concept, I have this idea of a framework uh, to help kind of the world and stuff. And, and it's still in progress. I still have some stuff to work out on with it. But anyways, I was going to write a book on that. And right when I was, when I, when I thought that I had the time to work on it, I was going to do it over the course of a summer where I took a summer job to sit there and kind of like, um, kind of like occupy my mind like the entire day. So I could sit there and just grab two hours and just crank out the writing. And it didn't end up working like that at all. But, but what did end up happening is that I was uh, driving around a lot because you know, the job entailed a lot of driving. Uh, you know, I drove like eight or 9,000 miles over the course of the summer. So in all that driving time, I was just thinking a lot, you know, I was listening to books and I was, I was, uh, I was listening to music and I would, you know, have thinking time and all this. And just, it was a lot of introspective time. And, and throughout that, I kind of was developing this concept of the five keys to greatness. Once the concept came to fruition, once I had this concept together, I said, oh, you know, this really needs to be put into book form first. First of all, because it's actually a developed concept. Concept. It's actually a developed framework. Secondly, because um, the book, in a sense, will sort of write itself, and I'll explain that in a second. Uh, no, no book writes itself, but you know, uh, as they go, it kind of just will flow. And uh, thirdly, you know, I, I, I realized at some point, I think it was a little bit later, but I realized that really the five keys to greatness integrates into my other program that I'm still working on. So. Um, so it kind of like dropped on my lap, dropped on my lap to do this. Now, what I was saying about the book kind of writing itself is I, I was like, okay, so I've got these, these five keys that I want people to recognize are uh, a framework to live your life by. And to a degree, it's almost, um, it, the book almost just lays itself out because, you know, I wanted to have a main character who learns about the five keys and I wanted to have a, I guess you could say a guide who, who uh, guides him along his journey of learning about those five keys. And so you're not dealing with a ton of characters, right? You're dealing with a main character. He has to, he has to somehow get in touch with a guide who sits there and, and sets him up with these five keys. And so what I ended up doing is I used a different guide for each key, a main guide to send them to each one of these people and um, another person who's a catalyst to send him. So it's, you know, you're talking about, um, like, what is it? Five plus six plus seven, eight main characters. And that's, that's the whole book. You know, I mean, he meets this, he's, he's in a really, really rough space, which a lot of us can probably relate to, especially right now during COVID, uh, you know, 
I, people obviously listen to podcasts anytime, but we're recording this, you know, November, 2020. So it's in the middle of this COVID and coronavirus epi- uh, pandemic. And, and, you know, there's all this stuff going on and people are just, there's a lot of struggles happening right now. And so, so, you know, a lot of people I think can relate to the main character and he meets this man who's like, go, you, you know, you need to do something to improve your life. You need to do something to rekindle that spark. And so he sends him off to meet this lady, Regina, and Regina sits there and one by one sends him to each one of the key holders who explains to him what's going on with that key. And it just, it, there's this transformation that happens throughout the book. Have there been um, any particular uh, guides for you? Because you mentioned that, you mentioned that when I asked you about kind of the, the inspiration to write this book, you, you started talking about kind of the, the, I guess a lot of the independent exploration that occurred as you were, you were driving all those miles in the car over the summer um, was, so do you, do you feel like you develop these sort of keys more from just, just personal kind of uh, experiences throughout life or, or was there a person or, or people that kind of helped, helped guide you along the route? Well, uh, to start with, none of us really do anything on our own, even if we want to say that we do, right? Uh, I forget who says it, but, you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of the giants before us, right? So so concepts are, are developed, and then somebody comes along and says, I've got this new concept, and what they're doing is they're kind of just rebranding an old concept. I mean, I you can take you can take stuff that people are talking about nowadays, and I can show you philosophers, Talmudic scholars, or, uh, um, you know, other, other uh, writers from 2000 years ago who are already talking about some of these concepts. So we, we all are really standing on the, sho- on the shoulders of the, of the giants that lived before us. Um, you know, and one, one piece of feedback that I've seen, even from people who rate the book very, very highly, is, and I don't, I don't even know if feedback is the right way to put it, one, one, one just thing that they recognize, that they say they're, it's not that the stuff that's in this book is like earth shattering. Like you'll be like, wow, I've never even heard these concepts before. Uh, but what it is, is it's putting a new flavor on them and, and kind of wrapping up a few different aspects and putting them all into one thing and saying, this is the five keys to greatness. You can use it with any program that you want to use it with and it can help you no matter what you're doing. And, uh, you know, so the, the, you know, these are, so it's, it's kind of like isolating concepts that are already known and putting them into their own, uh, package. Um, you know, so I, I've, I've listened a lot to people like Les Brown and Jim Rohn and, uh, Wayne Dyer, like the, the old, the old crew, I guess you could say, um, you know, some of them aren't with us anymore, but I've listened, I've listened to a lot of different, 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 um, different motivational stuff. I've listened to, you know, Brian Tracy stuff. Um, I don't know if I could do an exhaustive list of everybody who I've listened to, but certainly there are concepts, um, you know, and, and as much as I could, as much as possible, as much as it made sense, I tried to give credit where credit is due because I'm not trying to sit there and take anybody's ideas for my own. Um, you know, I mean, the, the book, the, the concept of the five keys greatness is certainly my own. But, you know, when, when, I, when I could quote people directly or when I could sit there and say that these are the ideas of other people, I, I was careful as much as possible to put their, their information in there. I, I actually had a funny, funny thing happen. Um, I coined, you know, so one of, the, one of the first keys is give, right, to provide for people. 
And so I coined the phrase giving is living. And I'm like, you know, sitting there, you know, almost strutting like, wow, you know, this is a great quote, giving is living, you know, look at me. And I'm like, I wonder if anybody said that before, because that's too, too good for maybe like that, like, you know, only in 2020 that, you know, <laughs> I came up with that. So I did a quick search and it turns out that I believe it was Audrey Hepburn was very famous for having said it. So I sat there and actually went into the book and modified it to sit there and, and give her credit for it. Even though, you know, this is something that I'm not like an Audrey Hepburn person in the sense that, you know, maybe I've seen one or two of her movies, but like, I mean, she's from the, she's from a generation or two before. So, you know, she wasn't a contemporary, you know, like nowadays, you know, we, you know, you and I maybe could talk about some of the actresses that are big now, but like she was, you know, I don't know, I don't even know when her era was, but okay, fine. You know, she said it first, no problem. I put her name in there. Uh, you know, so, you know, Audrey Hepburn's famous for saying, giving his living. Um, um, there's actually an interesting thing I'll tell you. Uh, so there, there's a Talmudic passage, uh, and I'll, I'll sp I'm, I try to be specific about saying who it's from, because, and you'll hear why in a second, but there's this rabbi, Rabbi Lazar ben Hanina, it's, it's hard to translate those names into English, so I'll just go, you know, whatever, but he says, he's like, he's like, you know, saying something that you heard in the name of the person who originally said it, it brings redemption into the world. And you're like, okay, great, well, you know, what are you talking about? But he says the way you can tell is you look in the Bible, and in the Bible, in the in the um, in this in the story of Esther, I believe that's in the in the secular Bible. I'm pretty sure. I'm not. I can't. Don't hold me to that. In the story of Esther, at some point in time, Mordecai says to the king, he's um, or no, Esther says to the king that you know these people are about to poison you, and I only learned about this because Mordecai told me. Okay, and much later on in the story, right, the king is like looking through the book and he's like, I never, I never uh, rewarded Mordecai for what happened. And that's what goes ahead and brings about the ultimate salvation. So he says, he's like, you know, you, redemption. So, I, you know, whenever possible, if I can, if I can uh, quote the people who said it originally. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it, it, it I, I think I'm making the connections. I mean, as far as what, what you were originally starting out about, about talking about, you know, with the book, it's not, you're saying not, it's not necessarily these, these uh, incredibly unique new ideas, but it's, it's, you're sort of sounds like you've flushed them out in such a way that, that you've made them original um, that you've made the book unique, but it's sort of uh, taking things from the past, taking previous people's ideas and sort of kind of a continuation. Is that sort of how you look at it? Yeah, Development. I, I would think so. Um, I think that's a good, I think that's a good sum up. You know, we're, everybody wants the new and the contemporary, but there's a lot of information and a lot of knowledge from the, from the, from the past generations. So, you know, to, to, and, and this is a, this is, I feel like this is constantly happening. I mean, how many books are published a year? I don't, I don't remember the exact number, but I've seen statistics of like a million books are published a year or 5 million books. I mean, there's tons and tons of books that are constantly coming out. The, I mean, there are, if not all of that information, the vast majority of that information has probably been discussed in a book before or has probably been thought of by a philosopher or a scholar from another generation. So, so I think if we all recognize that, then we can, you know, it, but, but yeah, I mean, we, we want that contemporary twist on it, you know, um, 
Um, I mean, you know, maybe a good example would be like Malcolm Gladwell's, I think it's Outliers, where he talks about the 10,000 hours, right? The, the concept of work on something really, really, really hard until you become really, really good at it, I don't think that's a new concept, right? He put a whole new twist on it, and he did a lot of research that's new, or he found, he spoke to a lot of researchers with new research to sit there and prove his point in a way that it's never been proven before. But the idea of like, if you want to be good at something, dedicate your life to it, you know, that's, that's not, I don't think that's a new concept, right? I mean, he's just showing it to you in such an irrefutable way that you're like, well, okay, if I want to do something really, really well, I have to like just practice and practice and practice and practice. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, we, we all learn from as much as possible from who came before us. And you know, that, like history teachers will always tell you, uh, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? So it's, uh, you know, so we want to learn from the past, but also try and uh, look towards the future and just make that, make that, you know, marry the two concepts so that we can gain new concepts so we can, uh, we can grow and we can learn. Right. It, it's funny, it, what you're talking about reminds me of uh, a conversation I had with a friend about one of my favorite books is, is uh, Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, I don't know if you've read that before, but <laughs> I haven't Andrew, read it. I've seen it. My nephew read it. it he was, uh, he was very happy with it. I thought it was a great book, but I remember, I remember talking to a friend, uh, a good friend about it and expecting them, you know, I, they said they had read it too. And I was thinking they were going to have an equally positive reaction to it. And they were saying like, uh, they're like, Oh, this didn't tell me anything. I, I didn't already know. And, and I sort of thought about it. I was like, you know, that's actually pretty, pretty true that it didn't propose any revolutionarily unique ideas it simply flushed out certain concepts that i had maybe already thought of but just in a new way um, right so that, so that, i mean that that's yeah i mean that's that's a good example of that now a couple things so first of all the, the over i mean meaning even the people who said oh it's it's basically ideas that have already you know that are already out there necessarily but repackaged most of them were still nonetheless very very happy with having read the book it wasn't like wow i feel like i just wasted my time they were like no no no, this is a good concept this is a good framework i really enjoy it it was done very well it happens to be if i have to give my honest opinion that it's not like you know revolutionary like you know earth shattering concepts or anything one person um had kind of said like you know oh, i guess you kind of always need to have new ways to put the same information down. So whatever, you know, um, but then about that book, uh, it could be that the reason why it was so, uh, popular was because of the way that he presented it. Right. I mean, the presentation is all, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because I feel like he maybe was one of the, uh, trendsetters to sit there and say, you know what, I'm just literally not going to give and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to drop F-bombs in the title of my book. And you're like, huh, but then I've seen people since then, right? People who just didn't have that following, who just whatever, who were trying to do kind of like the same thing. And I, I, I felt not never having read his book and not knowing how well he did or didn't do it. I felt like the people who were trying to do it later on were literally just doing it because they were like, Oh, he was successful for putting an F bomb in his title. I'm going to do it also. And you're like, mm, that's not really how it works. You know? Right. Right. Like, he wasn't... Like, I feel it. I feel like one of the main reasons why that title worked is because he's like, don't care about anything. I'm just going to call it the subtle art of boom. And you're like, uh, okay. Right. But, he, uh, wasn't, you know... he wasn't titling <laughs> it to set that as a trend. He just, 
he just did it and right. then other people now think oh well in order to get a pop make a popular book oh this this framework i'm gonna i i think i get what you're saying there yeah speaking yeah. of speaking of presentation um i wanted to ask you about you know with your with your public speaking gigs i wanted to ask you you know as far as what what sort of skills have you found that you've you've had to cultivate um, within yourself and just to, as you've been doing this to, to, to really get your message across to the audience? What have you, what have you learned? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, it's, it's constant. I mean, first of all, you know, with, as with anything, we always want to improve. It's constantly trying, trying to, to learn the things that'll help. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the biggest things that I've learned um, is early on is, you know, people were telling me back before I started really kind of doing it, uh, you know, as a paid speaker was slow down because I tend to move fast and talk fast. And so I had to kind of learn to, you know, just put, put the brakes on sometimes a lot, sometimes a little. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, you always want to be able to connect with people, right? There are some people who will get up to the front of a room and they'll start just talking at the people, but that, that doesn't really help and doesn't really create that connection that, that, that creates that, uh, that, 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 that amazing moment where you're like, wow, like we all just connected. We all just had this great moment. You know, uh, you know, I really kind of feel like the audience and I were kind of just in this moment together yeah, fine. I was up at the front talking and they were just down there, you know, but like we, we were like in this process together, but then, but then, you know, to, to a degree when you, when you have people who are, I don't know, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's boring speakers and there's interesting speakers, there's good speakers, there's bad speakers, you know? Um, and so, so anything that I can do to kind of like help myself get a little bit better, uh, you know, there was, there was an interesting, so I, I, I ran through the contest circuit a, a few times. And so one time I made it to the district level, um, which is two levels away from the championship, from the world championship. And I'm, I'm in there and, uh, you know, I thought I, I thought I did really, really well. Other people that were there told me they thought I did really, really well. And they called my name for second place, meaning I'm not advancing to the next level. It was like kind of like a, a big letdown. And I mean, I mean, the guy I was sitting next to was shocked. I never met him before. And he's like, no way, you know, like, well, I, based on the guy who, meaning the guy who won, he didn't pay, whatever. I'm not going to get into that too deeply. Um, but I went over, there was a, there was a world championship champion there. And I went over to him afterwards. I said, look, you know, can you give me any, you watch me speak. Can you give me any pointers like to sit there and, and, and pick up my game? And, I found it interesting that he had like a whole table full of products about, you know, developing your speaking ability that he was there to sell to people who were attending the conference. And he's like, there's a book and go get this particular book by like an old, a speech writer from like, um, uh, the Reagan era, I think. And, uh, you know, get that book and that'll help you. And I was like, okay, you know, so I got that book and I read through the book and I'm, you know, I reread through it here and there as well. You know, you always, there's so much, there's so much information out there that if you try to absorb all of it at the same time, you're just going to be overloaded. You won't be able to function. You won't be able to do any of it. You won't be able to implement any of it. Nothing. 
but if you if you um you know if you if you pick like one little area to sit there and work on here and there you know you, you end up improving and if you just look at something that you did and you say well what did i do right over here what did i do wrong how can i improve what can i get better at you know so i, I try to improve incremental improvement is you know it's always that's uh that's something i i, I always am working on if i can and uh you know just to whenever possible to get better a little bit better than i was before right do you do you find that when you're when you're giving uh these sort of presentations to people do you find that that the words that you say matter more or the the delivery in terms of how you're conveying the message because it seems like to me the reason i ask that question is it seems to me that a lot of the best public speakers whether it be motivational or or people giving whatever different kinds of political speeches it seems that there's they, they know how to captivate the room and it's not solely based on them saying really unique words necessarily or putting together super unique sentences, but it's like you can feel kind of the power and, and, uh, and sort of firmness, uh, for lack of a better word, in, in how they, they're conveying their message. Okay. Uh, let's it's kind of like a two-part question so the words i think the words matter but not nearly as much as the delivery i think i think you've got something there um you know but but the you know it's not just the words like if you you can get up you can have the best words in the world you can get up in front of people and you can deliver it in a monotone and people could be sleeping they're gonna be falling out of their chairs you know um and you can have a very 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 basic set of words that that you know but if you deliver them the right way you're gonna you're gonna inspire the whole audience they're gonna walk away being like wow you know the words do matter because if you can get a, a decent level of words and if you're like a decent wordsmith and you can put you know certain sentences together like meaning if you're speaking for an hour every word doesn't matter it's the it's the phrases and the specific sentences that you've crafted specifically meaning because a lot of times you'll you'll talk and you'll be mentioning this you'll be mentioning that like all these different things but there's specific sentences that you're going to use over and over and over again or specific phrases that you're going to use over and over and over again and those you know that's what i mean when i say the words matter you know so the words of course matter they always matter but but the delivery matters i feel like a lot more and i'll tell you um i don't no, I don't even know how to describe it or to whatever, but, uh, you know, when I get up on stage, um, I enter like into like a zone and, and like, I kind of like shift from being like the regular old Ari Gunsberg that you'll see. And, you know, maybe you'll see me on the street. You'll say, hi, we'll be, you know, talking where, you know, here we are, we're, we're talking on a podcast and everything. And I, I kind of like leave that behind and I go into like a different zone. And, and while I'm there, like, I'm, you, you, you're on stage, you know, maybe there's 300 people in the audience, maybe there's a thousand people in the audience, right? You know, typical, being typically emotive is not going to work, right? You know, it's a small, tiny little smile doesn't necessarily work. Like, sometimes you have to be up on stage and you have to, like, throw your arms out where you would never throw your arms out the reg in, in a regular conversation. Because when you're one-on-one, -on -one, like, you can't just be, like, you know, jumping across the stage. But when you're up there, you kind of have to like make big movements. And, and so, um, 
so I, I'm in like this this zone, which is a really cool place to be, I think. Uh, at least for me, it's, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. And then another thing is, um, you know, it's not that I'm acting, but to a degree, I feel like it works out better when I recognize that I'm putting on a show, if that makes any sense. Right? I'm, not, I'm not acting like I'm uh, yeah I mean yeah dramatizing but like not not because like I want to sit there and be like all melodramatic but just because just because I've experienced the story because I was there or because you know I've I've told the story a few times doesn't it, I shouldn't take that experience away from anybody who's in the audience because I, we can have this great moment so I need to get myself back into this you know super dramatic moment of like I were telling the story over again, but like, I have to tell it, like I'm telling it for the first time ever. I have to tell it like, almost like I'm reliving that moment right now, you know? And so that's, that's a, it's a struggle, but you know, it's, it, I feel like it livens up the, the presentation and just makes it that much better. Mm. And I, at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about, right? There's, there's two groups that um utmost concern about which i think is probably all you know there's the audience i want to make sure that the people that when i'm sitting there speaking to a group of people that they have the absolute best experience that i can possibly give them and then there's of course the person who actually the the meeting planner or the event planner the person who actually hired me like i want to make sure that they feel good about choosing me right there's a there's an old, like, I don't know, joke or saying or whatever, right? Nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM, right? Like if you sit, let's say you're, you're working in a company, you need a new computer system. And so you get five quotes. One of them is from IBM. One of them is from a small uh, agile player and it's cheaper. And you think that they're going to be able to do the job better. But at the end of the day, right, your job is kind of on the line because if you hire a company and something goes wrong, the boss is going to be like, what's the deal? Like I went based on your recommendation and it's not what I expected. But if you hire IBM, they can mess up all day long and the boss will come to you and be like, they're IBM, right? <laughs> you can't blame it on right. me that they, I'm saying they're IBM, like they should not be messing this up. This is a, that, you know, you know what I'm saying? So like, I, I, I like to try to as much as possible, like put myself into that position where it's like, you don't have to worry with me. You're getting the real deal with me. You're getting, uh, you know, I'm going to put my everything into every single moment on that stage. And the next question I was going to ask you is, you know, before we, before we started recording, you know, you mentioned to me that, that yesterday you just finished, uh, was it a half marathon hike? and that's what i that's what i called it yeah it's kind of a mistake that it ended up being a half marathon but yeah okay okay <laughs> so it sounds like it sounds like you know are, are there is is that important to you to to sort of challenge yourself whether it be in in physical or, or mental ways kind of in your life in terms of in terms of sort of developing uh like is that a key part challenging yourself to get to where you can you know, have something to talk about as far as, uh, you know, giving presentations or have something to write about. Okay. So I, uh, uh, let me just, let's, let me, I'm going to try to answer your question. I want to tell a little bit about how I ended up being a half marathon because it kind of really <laughs> silly story. Um, but okay. So I don't do stuff like that to have something to talk about. Literally I had no intention of bringing that up or anything. So, um, 
I don't do that stuff because I'm trying to have, excuse me, have something to talk about. Uh, I do it to challenge myself, like you said. Um, and I don't challenge, I, you know, I don't always want to challenge myself. Uh, you know, I think many of us can, can understand where I'm coming from, where sometimes it's like, no, don't want to do that. Just want to, you know, sit back and relax or, you know, read a book or whatever, you know? Um, but, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes you kind of have to sit there and say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this crazy thing because I really want to experience, you know, I, I, I just want to do this. It's a challenge and I want to do it. And I don't know if I'll be able to finish it, or maybe I do know that I'll be able to finish it, but until I actually finish it, I won't know now, if you know what I mean. So, um, I mean, and, and, you know, we, we grow through challenge. I mean, we don't, we don't grow without being challenged and stuff. And so I, I happen to have had the time yesterday. It's a, it's a, I'm nearby the park where it is, which is a little bit a ways away from my home. It's up in Pennsylvania. And I've been wanting to do this hike for quite some time. And I'll tell you the biggest part of the challenge is because there's a sign at the beginning of the hike, the hike from, from one spot to the other is a 6.2 miles they claim. Right. Um, which by the way, so if you do the math is 12.4, which is not quite the half marathon, which I'll get to that. Um, but they have a sign saying this is a, a hard and strenuous hike. Please plan for at least four and a half hours, minimum four and a half hours each way to do the hike. And every time I go to this park and I do my mile and a half, my three miles, my four miles, my two miles, whatever, I see that sign and I'm like, uh-uh, there's no way it takes four and a half hours to do that. 6.2 miles, like we're not talking about elevation like in the mountains, mountains. I mean, yeah, maybe it's got hills and stuff, but there's no way it's a four and a half hour hike. But um, I never have the time to sit there and go and do this whole thing where like if something goes, you know, totally, totally wrong and I need to like this happened or that happened. I never have that extra buffer of time to be able to do it. But yesterday I had that. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to make this happen. And um, so I started on the trail and I was going along. I was probably like a mile, mile and a half in. And, you know, I, I went out, it was cold in the morning, but it was warming up during the day. So, you know, I took off my gloves first and then I, and I, and then I took off my, my jacket and then I keep on going. And all of a sudden I realized that this bracelet that I've had for a long time, it's a, called a road ID. You know, it basically just has your, your name, your birthday, other information you might want on there. But for me, it's just got like my dad's number, my, my wife's number, because God forbid, if I'm in the middle of nowhere because of a, because of hiking, because of road cycling, because of running for any reason, right? God forbid, if somebody needs to identify, I don't usually carry ID with me. Um, you know, so that's kind of like the idea of it. Um, Meaning it's something that I want to never, ever, ever have to use, which right now it looks like I never had to use it because it's gone. <laughs> but I, I realized it wasn't on my wrist anymore. So I was like, oh man. So I backtracked like almost a half a mile going down a hill that I had already climbed. Uh, I backtracked like almost a full half mile, couldn't find it. And I said, you know what? And I saw some other people. I was like, you know what? Forget it. And so I, I went, I continued back up the, the, the trail. I almost called it, called it a day. I was like, this is stupid. Like I lost my thing. I don't really want to do this. I've got no idea on me. Like, what am I doing? You know, like uh, my mind started getting in on me, which uh, the mind always does. Uh, telling me all the reasons why I shouldn't go ahead and do it. But I, but I said, you know, look, I still have the time. I've got the coffee. I've got the, um, I've got the water. I've got everything that I need. I've got the food. I literally had everything that I need. I said, I'm just going to do it. Uh, so I did it and I got 7.3 miles. I ended up not going to the parking lot on the other side. 
I ended up changing the destination to a waterfall on the other side. So 7.3 miles by the waterfall, I filled up a little bit of water and I kind of thought like maybe I, you know, my knee's hurting a little bit. Maybe I should like go to the parking lot and figure out how to get back to my car. It's like, no, it's six miles back. Let me just do it. And so I did it. And with two and a half miles left to go, my knees were kind of hurting a lot. And, um, so usually I have trekking poles, even if I'm not using them, I have them attached to the back of my pack just in case I need them. And I didn't, I, you know, I, I didn't have them up here with me. I left them at home. So I, I ended up, you know, as I was walking along, I would, Oh, I can stick over there. I would grab it. I can stick over there. So I ended up like the last two miles or so I was doing two hiking sticks, kind of like using them just like trekking poles and just uh, trying to take some of the, some of the, some of the, um, some of the pain from away from my knees, some of the, some of the pressure and, and the weight and everything else for my knees and everything. But, um, but I got back to the car and I was like, yes, it clocked in like 13.74 miles, which is a half marathon. I think is 13.1 and over 1500 feet of climbing, which is uh, pretty cool to get on the East coast uh, without being like literally in the mountains. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a gorge and everything. So it's kind of, you know, it's got, it's got those, uh, those, those elevations, but not nothing like, not like up in, uh, you know, in Yosemite uh, a couple years ago, I think we did one mile where we climbed a thousand feet in the one mile. <laughs> that was intense. Um, sorry. <laughs> that, um, yeah. um, that does sound pretty intense. Damn. Um, you go hiking I, a lot? Uh, yeah. For, I'm in Oregon. So that's, that's oh, definitely nice. one of the, one of the great things to do here for sure. Are you, are you by Mount hood or no? I'm a couple hours South of hood. I'm in uh, Eugene, but uh, I've been to okay. hood. I was doing some my hiking in. To, my mom went to uh, my cousin's graduation. He was in college in Portland with her sister, uh, with his mom. And they, you know, she came back and she's like, yeah, we tried to like hike Mount Hood. And like her and her sister ended up not going all the way up. And my cousin, like, I think he went all the way up or something. This is year. I mean, this is a number of years ago. And like only recently I realized like if they climbed Mount Hood, like they were really putting themselves into a pretty dangerous situation without even realizing that they were doing that because of, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily know to look out for altitude sickness and for other, you know, danger signs. And thankfully everybody came down and it was fine. Right. I mean, but like going up on a mountain without the proper equipment <laughs> is pretty dangerous. Uh, somebody I know, like I was talking to him and, you know, um, he had done a trip recently. He had done a trip a while ago where I recommended that he take some clothing to, to make sure that if it gets cold, he would be protected. And he didn't. And he's like, okay, yeah, it's pretty cold. And like, that probably wasn't so smart. I was talking to him a little while ago. He told me he did one of the big mountains uh, in out on the West coast. And he's like, but I did the exact same thing. And I'm like, um, you know, he like climbed this mountain without the proper equipment. And it was like, I think I need to have a conversation with him at one point and I, I need to do it at one of these days. I know it might not seem like such a big deal to you. And I know I might seem like a, um, like, a, like paranoid or like a blowhard or like all this stuff. But you're putting yourself in a serious danger by doing these things you might sit there and say ah big deal whatever it's fine i don't really need the gear whatever but like you're talking about mountains right i mean there's a saying the only bold mountaineer is a dead one right <laughs> you know mm -hmm. uh when you sit there and you say i don't really need to have that coat to go up onto the top of this mountain well 
what if a freak storm happens, which they do happen, and it starts snowing up there, and you have no equipment with you, and the temperature drops to 30 degrees, right? I mean, you're up on top of a mountain. Nobody's necessarily coming. I mean, some of these mountains we could get helicopters up onto, but like not, you know, they won't necessarily even know that you're there, you know? So it's, it's, it's a day, it could be a the reason I bring all that up is just if, if you, you know, for people who do want to go hiking and everything, the, the more of a wild region that you're going into, the more knowledge and the more preparation you should have. And again, right, there's, there's levels, right? If you're going to a local state or city park and it's small and there's like almost no way you can get lost, you know, you, you might be able to think about like only going with your phone as a compass or not a compass, whatever. It, it gets into a much more involved conversation, but, um, but certainly if you're going to an area that is potentially dangerous, you should be aware of the danger and prep to, to, you know, if you, you know, know the signs of altitude sickness, so you can descend as opposed to getting sick and possibly God forbid dying. Um, it's no, you know, people like think it's not, it, oh, it's no big deal, but like it could be a big deal and it's not usually not, you're right. But, but it could be, you know, that's uh that's the danger zone. I hear you. Are you <laughs> I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. I wanted to ask you, um, with one of the things we connected on um, before we got started, I was telling you about how I don't really prepare questions. And I had just seen also like on your podcast guest page, you had, you'd actually said that I didn't, hadn't previously realized that, but I saw that you had written something about that you find that when you're interviewing that you, like your best, uh, I guess the best method you found is kind of doing these spontaneous questions. And I wanted to ask you, I guess, so with your, with your podcast, uh, Way to Greatness, um, what, other, what other things, what other uh, things have you noticed in terms of just being a host? What have you, what have you found that maybe uh, you didn't realize like when you first started your show that you've had to, that you've had to cultivate or, or what, what sort of skills do you feel like have helped you sort of on the other end of things? Because you're, it sounds like used to, you know, you've been getting interviewed, but now kind of doing the role where you're actually the interviewer. How is that? How has that changed for you? I actually started as the interviewer and now I'm doing more interviews. Okay. Um, so way to greatness is kind of, first of all, I just want to say for anyone who's going to go listen to it, please do. But, but it's kind of on pause. <laughs> just, I'm not really sure what's, what I'm doing with it. It's, it's a great project. I really love it. It, but it is, it was, um, it's one of those things that I'm just kind of like evaluating and just seeing like, because I'm thinking about doing another podcast or two, maybe I've got other books that I'm working on. So like, I've just got a lot on my plate and it was a little bit too much with uh, everything that was happening. So I kind of put it on pause, but the, the interviewing skills are. Yeah. So I, so, so when questions come up spontaneously, you know, when you ask somebody, when you say to somebody, hey, you know, I've got this interview I want to do with you, uh, give me the 10 questions I should ask you. So they're going to sit there and send you the same 10 questions they sent to everybody else. You're going to ask them the question, and they're going to give you the exact same answer that they give all the time, almost a rehearsed answer, right? And I've actually interviewed people where, like, I'm asking these questions, and I can hear by their tone of voice that they're totally not there right? They're just talking, 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 but doing five other things at the same time because they're like, I do interviews all the time. It's fine. No problem. Click, 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 click. And I'm like, you're not, 
Meaning it, it would be easier if you were just like, I just, I just don't have time to get an interview, to do an interview with you than if you sat there and did, you know, did it like that. So that's, that's why I found like that spontaneous questions. Cause if you can surprise somebody and they're like, Oh, Oh, I don't know. You know, like then you get, then you, a lot of times you'll end up with people who admit things that they wouldn't necessarily admit otherwise. And it's, I'm not looking for like that journalism gotcha moment necessarily, right? That's not the goal of the show that I'm on. Like if somebody sat there and said something and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. You can't air that. I wouldn't air it. Like I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not looking for that gotcha moment, you know, but, but um, I'll give you an example. I mean, I had a, I had the, one of the hosts from the podcast, um, I think it's called how to lose money. Paul, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping on his last name right now, but Paul. Um, and so he was on my show and I asked him a question. He's like, Whoa. And like, I just had like this super real moment with him for like a second where he, um, you know, he was talking about some of the hardships that he had gone through as he was building his financial, financial, uh, um, independence. And, you know, I mean, he just was like, he just, you know, and he's like, I've never told this to somebody before on an interview. And so when you, when you, when you, when you script the interview, I mean, as a host, you want to be prepared. Certainly you want to have like, you know, a set of questions and, and I would have said that like, let's say 20 or 30 questions that I'd be prepared to ask. And maybe, maybe sometimes I only get to five of them and that's okay. You know, because we ended up having a conversation and I asked follow-up questions based on what they said. Um, but when you, when you ask the questions that they want you to ask them, or when you prepare them by sending them questions and say, here are the questions I'm going to be asking you, right? You, you're, you're not, I feel like you're not getting as, as authentic of an interview as you could be getting when you are like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a gotcha question. Not because I'm trying to have that gotcha moment where I sit there and air something that's embarrassing to you or whatever, but because I want to sit there and get that real true and authentic answer from you where you're like, Oh wow. I've never even thought about that before. Now I have to, now I have to kind of like think about what you just brought up and like how it relates to the other stuff that I do, you know? So that's, um, and it sounds like you've, you've had the same experience where you, where you find like you have better, more authentic conversations with people when you, uh, when you kind of like have some preparation done, but do a lot of it on the fly. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, and the way I also think about it, is sort of like finding a way to sort of take people off of autopilot. Like the way you're, the way you're describing, like, you know, when people kind of give these rehearsed answers, you know, that they've given a million times, like I kind of think of it um, kind of just from like a psychological approach of just, just people are just, you know, on autopilot. It's not in exactly the, the words that you said, uh, raw and authentic. That's exactly actually what came to mind for me is that when, when you cause people to, to actually have to really, think about something maybe in a new way that they haven't thought of before it can it can sort of inspire this these sort of real answers that that I think produce the the greatest content that's what I've found definitely um, and and you brought up autopilot I just wanted to make a mention so um I, I I would much rather it if the world wasn't like this uh but it is. And so as a speaker, I have to sit there and figure out like, what's my brand and like what, you know, because otherwise people just are like, okay, he's just another speaker. Right. So that's, that's one of the things that I've been working on. It's part of the reason why I mentioned before that I put the the podcast on hold because while it's a project that I'm very passionate about and it's, it's fascinating, I love doing it. It, 
it kind of doesn't necessarily help reinforce the brand that I need to do in order to sit there and build the speaking business that I'm building. But the brand, you know, you mentioned autopilot and what I realized recently, like in this, in these, this branding work that I'm doing is that a big part of what I do with my speeches, with my book, with the five keys to greatness is I, I'm kind of like, and I, I was using different words for it. I'll tell you those in a second, but I'm kind of taking people out of autopilot and putting them back into, okay, no, I need to be in control of my life. I need to be aware of what's going on in my life, you know? And, and that's what the five keys to greatness are all about is like, you know, just like waking you up, like, don't sit there and act in autopilot all the time. Don't sit there and like just be doing the same thing every single day. Cause that's what you're doing and just what you're doing and everything. No, think about this stuff and like figure out like, how can you improve this part of your life? How can you improve this part of your life? And so the, the words that I came up with, and maybe I might, um, if it's okay with you, grab that word autopilot when I'm re looking at this stuff and everything. But the words that I was using initially was like, I, you know, I, I help, I help audiences spark I help spark audiences to rekindle the, uh, the life of the, the magic of life, you know, or I help spark the magic of life or rekindle the magic of life. You know, I'm, I'm kind of playing around with it. It's still, it's a, it's a work in progress, but the basic idea is that I take people out of autopilot and into manual control. Maybe that's, maybe that's what, maybe that's what I'll say in the future. I don't know. No, I like but, it. Um, I like it. That's, uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's the five keys to greatness is it's, it puts you back into the driver's seat, you know? I mean, so many of us are just, and I get it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm there also sometimes because we've got so many things going on, you know? Uh, you've got work, you've got, you've got kids, you know, depending on where you're at in life, right? There's work, there's kids, there's spouse, there's girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, you know, existential crisis, <laughs> again, depending on where you are in life. Um, you know, there's all these things that we're going through, and so, so, we've got them all at the same time. And so sometimes we need to work through some of them. So some are certain other areas of our life go into autopilot. And that's um, when we live, when we live on autopilot, really living our life. And, you know, we might wake up from being an autopilot and like six months has gone by or six years has gone by. And we're like, okay, I remember parts of it, but like where to go. <laughs> Well said. Well said. Uh, so that's that's uh, yeah. Well, Ari, we're uh, we're coming up onto the end of the show. I've really enjoyed um, our discussion today. Uh, for for the listeners who want to find out more about your work, where would you direct them to? Okay, so the book is most easily accessible from the website littlebookofgreatness.com. You just spell it out, littlebookofgreatness.com, and uh, to get in touch with me, find out what I'm doing, learn more about me, etc go to ariguns.com. That's A-R-I-G-U-N-Z.com. It's guns with a Z, ariguns.com. And that, that, uh, that'll take you to learn about me and get in touch and anything else. And other than that, I really appreciate you having me on the show and uh, thank you. I, uh, it was a refreshing interview based on the last few interviews that I had kind of followed, not the same format, but just we're, we're dwelling on a lot of the same things. And so it was, it was that, this was awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. And fantastic yeah. questions also. Thank you. No, I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, for those listeners who enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're Roscoe's Wetsuit, and you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else you can find audio podcasts. And you can also find all this stuff at roscoeswetsuitpodcast.com. Ari, again, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. I, I truly did uh, enjoy our discussion today. 
thank you very much for having me again. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely.